0: If you're a note taker, uh, I know we've been updating the app as we've been transitioning over here. You've seen each week, you see the construction progress, you see electrical conduit getting in, you see things being mounted, you see a hole being dug in the back of the room this week. We see things coming and going and doing, and and, and we've been at this this pace, and sometimes what we, we notice is we've been so busy here with what we're doing in here, Um, that some of the day-to-day things, and so I know that, uh, like getting our app updated, and some of you have had struggles with that. We've reached out to Android, who had some problems, and fixed some other things. So hopefully it's working for you. It follows along um, as it updates. All these slides that are on the screen will be there. If you need them, they're there for you. Um, That hopefully will work well for you. Today's main idea is just this. The church must rise above the negativity of culture. We are accountable to God for our words, actions, and attitudes. That we are called to be to rise above the norm of culture, and, and I know some things are going to come out today. And if and however they come out, wherever you are in the spectrum of the conversation, worldview, philosophy, political divide, wherever you land, here's one thing I know for sure: the last election, when president the last presidential election, we had people that voted for Hillary, we had people that voted for Trump, we had people that voted for Bernie. Now, don't judge the Bernie voters too harshly, they were high, but right, like, I mean, you know, so. But we have people across the spectrum, right? And so this is not aimed at any one particular side, in fact, it's aimed at all sides. And what I want you to hear is I fit in a camp as well, but that means it has to be aimed at me too. Are you with me? Like that there is a massive conversation going and the tone of the conversation has shaped so poorly that we're doing damage and not good, that we're not advancing a conversation, we're actually declining. As this resonates here in this passage, I I hope that we can see this. So back up a few verses to chapter 22. We're going to start in chapter 22, verse 22. Some of you, that's turning a page back, or some of you, it's just scrolling, but Let's start there. Verse 22, up to this point, they listened to him. And so this point is the crowd and the religious leaders and the hymn is Paul. It says, they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. So clearly we're picking up in the back quarter of the book of Acts. And there's obviously a lot of story leading up to this. And and here is the the basics of of this. If you've never opened a Bible before, if you've never stepped foot inside of a church before, here's what you know to catch up to this story. There's a first century Christian leader. His name is Paul. He wrote a good majority of the letters that have been included in the canonized, uh, in the canonized, in the New Testament, in the canonization of the Bible, right? In the, the collection of things that we have that God has superintended for us to give us, to guide us, and to lead us. Paul is a large contributor to that. It is his writings. It is his journey. That's what we're looking at. And so, The book of Acts is really a first century history of the birth of the church. Seeing it through the first several thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of believers coming to faith. As it spreads across the landscape from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and out into the known world, what we're seeing is the, the advancing of the gospel we see it in a very non, well, there's, there was no Christians, and so it's birthed into a very non-Christian culture. It comes out of Judaism, but Judaism persecutes it. So as, uh, what I would have you to see is that as Christianity begins, as those who followed, follow Jesus begin, what you and I would call the church, as it is birthed, it's birthed into a place hostile to it, Okay? And that's relevant for us because sometimes we feel like the culture is hostile to our faith. That what we believe fly in the face of culture. And that's, that is really the birthplace of Christianity and in Jerusalem and in Rome and those different places. It, it was hostile. And then Paul emerges as a first century leader. An early church leader who, who started many churches. And then much of what we see later in the New Testament is his writings to those churches his care and his concern, his pastoral nature towards those churches. He's been arrested for his faith. He's been, he's been brought in by Jewish religious leadership because he is teaching against what Judaism was teaching. That's really where we are. We're in a, in a religious conversation if you're a Jew. And if you're Paul, you're being persecuted for your faith. So Paul has now been arrested and is being brought back to Jerusalem or has been brought back to Jerusalem And this is in the midst of him being accused publicly, this is what we see. Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Because they disagree with Paul, because they believe he is saying something that they disagree with, that flies in the face of what they believe, Paul should no longer be allowed to live. Verse 23, and it says, as they were shouting, and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. I want you to I want you to get an idea of the crowd here and just imagine there's a shouting and a crowd there's a large public gathering. We've seen things on on uh, news stories and when something will take place in, in the community, whether someone is convicted or not convicted, or uh, something, someone raises accusations, and that people believe them or don't believe them. Or there, last year, around statues and things that were that some seemed offensive and others thought were okay, you see crowds gathering right? And you'll see people that believe one thing versus people believe that another thing, and you will see them shouting at each other. And what we see in this passage right here is that they are shouting at one another. They are, they are loud. The crowd is hostile. And as they are doing this, they're literally tearing at their clothes and they're throwing dirt in the air. Now, I don't know what part of throwing dirt in the air, what that accomplishes But clearly what we get is an image of people angry and chaos. And and we get this idea that civility has left. And the conversation has turned to this. We don't agree with with what he's saying, therefore he should not live. And then the fever pitch of the the conversation is so big and it's so loud that no longer can anyone hear anyone else. And literally things are being thrown and you can see you can see the temperature rising in the crowd. Verse 24, and it says the tribune, or the Roman army leader, if you will, ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. So examined by flogging. If you're unfamiliar with flogging, flogging is where you would take a man, mostly a man or it could be a woman, and you would take and tie their arms over them. Either you would stretch them out over something or you would tie their arms up in the air and you would beat them with a leather cord. And a lot of times they would take these leather cords like the cat of nine tails or things, they would take these leather lashes and they would tie into them shards of glass or stone or something that they would tear at the body. Literally flogging could kill you. Oftentimes killed the person being flogged. Otherwise it would leave you incredibly beaten, incredibly bloody, and literally they would break people down by pain. And so when you hear the words examined by flogging, understand that they're going to torture the person until they get the answer out. The only modern day equivalent that's been in our conversation at all in the last few years would be waterboarding, right? And waterboarding does way less damage, right? This is permanent physical damage could kill you where waterboarding is a very psychological thing. You think you're drowning, and most people have a deep fear of drowning. I don't know anyone that likes drowning, right? And so they're going to examine him by torture. Let's beat him until we get an answer to this question. Verse 25 says this, But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? So there's a, a governance or a procedural failure here. And what Paul is saying is, listen, he is a Roman citizen. Now, this is different. We have, a, we have an ongoing conversation in our country about citizenship, whether you were born here or you have generations of family here or how you got here, did you get here legally or illegally? Uh, how do you work here? What do you do here? Are you, how do, what was the point? Like, do we have that kind of conversation about citizenship? This is different. This is a group of people all born pretty much where they are. But because there was a, a multi-tiered system, in other words, some people did not have the rights of other people. And, and, and again, our country has a history of that. We know that in our history, but we have not experienced that. Even the oldest among us have seen bias and, and, and racism, things like that, but they have not seen where one could not do it. Maybe if, if you're old enough, you've seen some of it in our country. Most of us have not. Let's just put it that way. But what they have here is if you are not a Roman citizen, you could be born in Jerusalem, live in Jerusalem, be educated in Jerusalem, be Jewish, live there and not have the same rights as a Roman centurion or a Roman establishment that is there just because they have citizenship. And so there's this different layer. It's not exactly the same as our our current conversation. But this is a place where you could buy citizenship, you could could have it by birthright, and mostly it was among the wealthy. And so it crossed over socioeconomic status, and and it just, just kind of rose to the level of those who could afford to be, or had the pedigree to be this, they could be citizens. So in that, understand that though Paul is a Jew, and he's speaking to a Roman guard, he's saying, listen, is it right for you to flog a Roman citizen? And what he's saying is, listen, there's a due process. A lot of where we get our governance in our our world, in, in America here, we get that from some of the Roman senatorial system, right? We get some of it from the Roman judicial system. Some of the things that were created in this era are still held over today. Things like due process. And this was given only to a Roman citizen. So Paul notes, hey, listen, you realize you're about to beat me, a Roman citizen, without having condemned me of anything. So that's where Paul kind of says something and it pauses everything. Verse 26, it says, When the centurion had heard this, he went to the tribune and he said to him, what are you to do? Now, a centurion is a man who's over 100 soldiers. And a tribune is kind of a magistrate above him. And so it says, the centurion heard this, and he went to the tribune, and he said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came to him and said, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. And Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So without declining into that conversation too far, here's what I would have you to hear. The Roman Tribune is saying, listen, I am of a class, a wealthy class, where I bought my citizen. I have paid for this right. What right are you claiming? And what Paul is saying is this, and it's kind of a, a, a mic drop moment in this conversation for Paul. He's saying, listen, man, my family's had this before me. Like, I was born into, I've never not been a citizen. What he's saying is, I have the rights to be heard and to be tried, and you don't have the right to just beat me. And I know it sounds so foreign to us as we would say, no one should be beaten into giving an answer. And, and, and let's take the nuclear option. Like we're not talking about global terrorism. We're just talking about local disputes here, right? So we can debate other things uh, later. But for this, we're talking about somebody who looks to have done a petty crime was about to be beaten into a confession. Fair enough. And Paul is saying, listen, do you understand what you're doing here? Do you understand who I am and, and the rights that I have and how we're approaching this? So verse 29, it says, so those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune was also afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and he had bound him. So this is a, a game changer. Who Paul is is clearly a game changer for sure. Verse 30, it says, on the next day, desiring to know what the real reason was why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. Acts 23, we'll pick up in verse one. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Now, I want you to see this. Paul begins to speak and literally gets a sentence out before this happens. Verse two. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Ananias is the high priest. Most of us don't have a Jewish background, but think like high-level religious leader, right? Someone who has been in the faith probably all their life, excels academically, in life, in practice, the way they live is, is is a way that they want to hold people up to that people would live the way uh, people would live the way they see this high priest live. He oversees all the other priests. Paul gets about a sentence out of his mouth, and he commands Paul to be punched. A religious elite, a high-level faith-based leader. About a sentence in, says, "Hey, would you punch him in the mouth?" Now we look at this and go, this is crazy, but can we be honest? We're not far off here today, right? That our culture isn't too far away from this. We've heard them say, oh, he shouldn't even be alive. Or let's, let's, let's get this. Let's arrest him. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's, let's really treat this man as if he's condemned, though he's not even been really formally accused or tried. And then as he begins to speak or or give his side of the story, literally he is attacked, in this case physically. Verse 3, it says this, And Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? Yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Here's the problem. I know we follow Paul around and, and we watch Paul as Paul does some amazing things. And then when Paul will write to us, Paul writes le- not to us when Paul writes letters to churches those letters that are canonized for us that are that are that are kept for us to guide us to be an errant scripture right to be the infallible word of God when when P- Paul's writings that are kept around by God for us that that helps kind of us live and understand our faith right that that leads us to believe some things about Paul that aren't necessarily true now I think Paul was an outstanding leader who lived a lot like Jesus lived. Like that he, when Paul set out to do things, I think Paul imitates Christ in many, many ways. But Paul is not infallible himself. Paul is not some superhero who is never to blame. Paul, in this moment, condescends to the level of everyone else. And as Ananias literally has him struck, and as as he is being bound and about beaten, and as he's in the conversation, Paul just snaps. And goes off at the religious leader. See, Paul is not without the human ability to be drawn down to the level of the conversation. So I want to do this. If you're a note taker, when outrage takes over, Paul gets caught up in the moment and unfortunately returns sin for sin. When we engage our politically charged conversation, especially on social media, God calls us to speak differently than the culture around us. Paul dips into the level of everyone else. Paul, after being struck, now listen, I don't blame Paul. I'm not saying i do any better than Paul. I'm not saying i do better than Paul. And as Paul in this moment has been arrested for his faith and was just on the edge, and he's been beaten for his faith before. He's been jailed for his faith before. His life has been threatened many times before. So understand this, Paul's been through this, and, and, and I wouldn't say that any of us might do any better, but what we have to look at is what is God's call on us? So again, I said I want to do something today that I don't often do. And so what I want you to do is I want you to back back up. So scroll back down to Acts 22 where we started, verse 22, or turn that page back. And I want to walk through this passage we just read quickly with a lot of notes on the screen. So again, we'll get the notes on the app. I think the app is working. Is it working right now? Okay, so we're updating. We will get those out to you. You don't have to scribble frantically or take, take pictures, but you're obviously welcome to. I want to walk back through that passage we just unpacked, and I want to walk through it with the lens of our conversation today, if you will. All right? So verse 22, it says this, Up to this word they had listened to him. So the, the crowd is listening to Paul. and it says, Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. This is the conversation decline. When the yelling gives way to name-calling and judgment in our modern-day culture, it's isms, right? Racism, sexism, whatever ism right? Isms, criminal accusation and comparisons to dictators. Oh, that's like the Nazis of last century or whatever. When it, when it, when it gives way to name calling and judgment, the conversation has ended. Allowing ourselves to decline into this online or in person is sinful speech. Like when we join that kind of conversation, we are equally as guilty and something we always talk about is you can be right. You can have something where you're right. You, in a, in, a, in a conversation, in a disagreement, you can be right, and then your language take you out of being right, right? You might say, okay, you know, this is true, and you might be right, but when you condescend to the level of the conversation, you engage in sin too, and you give up the moral ground. When we condescend to name-calling or or horrible isms and and, and likenesses to other leaders that are just kind of the nuclear option, Hitler and whatever else, we join in the sinful conversation. We are equally guilty of the conversation. Verse 23, and as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, I want you to imagine that setting in the age of fake news. Right? Much of cable news and social media is intentionally sensational and designed to lead you to a particular viewpoint. Most of what we are fed today is bias under the guise of news reporting. All sides of the conversation, including Christians, condescend into this. We dip down into the ugly way, way too often. And listen, I don't care which media outlet you follow they all lead with bias, right? And I, they just, and then they just point at the other person's bias to defend their own position. And really it, it just never leaves that kind of conversation. There's not a media outlet. that's just journalism anymore, really, right? It's all pretty much bias. And let's and talk about clickbait and things where the, the headlines are intentionally sensational to get you to click on it. So they don't even have to be true anymore. It's just designed to get you to click. I'm studying, I, 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 many of you may know who Ed Stetzer is, he's a, a prominent Christian author right now, and he sent me a book that he just, he just had, he just released, and I'm reading through it, and he talks about how journalism has shifted, and he talks about how journalists are paid today, so they may get a small number, 50 bucks to write a column, but then every 500 clicks, they get paid, Right? So you can write something, and he gave examples, I don't want to use, because I don't want to misstate the story, but he gave examples of this headline, and then you read the story, and this headline's not even true. And that's common, because clickbait is what they call it, you've got to click for them to get paid, so the most sensational headline they can put up, you click, they get paid, and so they put that out there. But a lot of times, people just read the headlines, or people just see the headlines, or people don't do the hard work of reading that, or even fact-checking it, and so we just believe the headline. And so obviously, over the last two years, the term fake news has come out. In fact, last year, 2017, fake news actually made the official dictionary of urban terms, right, or of, of social terms. Verse 24, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do for this man is a Roman citizen? So judgments before facts. Judgments today are made before facts are given. Accusations against people... Take all your common examples, sexual assault, shooting, violence, etc. become truth based on political persuasions. No longer is there room for legal process or listening. I'll give you two examples. If you hear about a cop shooting an unarmed black man, that's been in the, story, been in the news a lot. If you immediately pick a side, you're biased. You defend the cop, you're biased. You defend the young black kid, you're biased because you have no facts. If a woman accuses a man of, of uh, sexually abusing her, and listen, I get, I get that these are charged. We have, again, the hashtag Me Too movement is there for a reason. Because so many women have been abused that there is a movement of getting women to speak out because for so long they haven't. We need women to speak out. We need women to be able to be believed. We need that. But we can't just accuse people and condemn them without Without something, I don't know if Kavanaugh is innocent or guilty. I have no clue. And what I suggest is neither do you. We're in the last shooting example. We don't know. But we rush to judgment often. We pick a side. And often all we do is pick the political team we're on. And we side with this and we side with this. Or we pick an answer based on, well, I've got police in my family. Or this is my ethnicity. Or this isn't my, Whatever. But you got to understand when we do that, we're just revealing bias because we don't know. And it's not like we're getting a lot of facts in detail, right? It's not like we're basing these judgments on us getting solid facts and information. Verse 29 or 27. So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. And the tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. And Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Now, I want you to hear this. This passage is not an argument for or against immigration right now. It has nothing to do with our modern day context. It has some parallels. It has some things where we can learn where we got our citizenship conversation from, but these are not people migrating from anywhere to anywhere. These people that were born there, and some of them are citizens, and some are not. It's different. So please don't take this and use this out of context to go to one side or another. Both sides could do this, and I just don't want to see that happen. But headlines over reality. People care less today about the truth and more about attention-grabbing headlines. Facts have become irrelevant, and whatever whatever will keep the story going is substituted. The idea that Paul is a certain type of person labeled by something is what is driving this conversation, not the truth, not the facts. Last week, we just saw him go, oh, wait a minute, you're not that Egyptian guy that led a revolt? He's like, I'm Jewish, like miles from Egyptian. (coughs) Excuse me. But things that are not facts drive the conversation. Verse 30. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he, this is the tribune, by the way, unbound Paul and commanded the chief priest and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. Acts 23. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Attacking instead of listening. We would rather attack those with whom we disagree with than listen to them. Name-calling, verbal and physical attacks, sorry for the typo, as well as attacking character are commonplace. Hearing out those we disagree with is a thing of the past. See, the dialogue or the conversation that we used to have is we used to give equal voice to anyone wanting to speak and then we would judge on the merits of an argument. And today the merits are irrelevant. What we rather would do is just attack the character of the person. We would rather physically attack them, right? We talked about this right after the Charlottesville incident. We talked about the fact that violence is never the response that's going to move the ball down the field in a positive way. Whether you're right or wrong, once you, if you are right and you start doing the wrong things, you cede the moral ground, you give up your position. You lose your place in the culture to advance the narrative. But we used to listen, we used to debate, we used to disagree and it didn't have to be name calling. It didn't have to be character assassination. It didn't have to be that. And it doesn't have to be that. And, and church, when we engage in this, we are equally guilty. And, and I say this, <clears throat> there was a few years back, I stopped posting pretty much most things on social media. I quit talking trash around football, mostly because the cowboys are getting hammered, so it doesn't it matter, but nothing political, nothing, and I just started watching, and it's been probably three years, I've just stood back and just watched, and I've watched as Christians will post, like, <clears throat> excuse me, loving and gracious, gracious Christian slogans, but I'm going to, excuse me a second. I've watched as Christians will say something incredibly gracious and kind and loving in one post or one meme. And then the very next thing, call names about the opposite political party or someone or this or that and say hatred, really vitriolic speech about those they disagree with, attacking their character, calling them names. And listen, our last presidential election, both sides called a lot of names. It used to be that there was some dignity to office, and our culture has even drawn that down, and Christians, we've been drawn into it. Verse 3, when Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall, or you whitewashed tomb. Are you sitting to judge me according to law, and yet contrary to law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? The worst part of all. Christians are not only part of the problem, we are often the worst offenders. Somehow we've taken the grace given to us, and we've gone out to beat others with it. When we are no different, our witness is lost. Here's what takes place in this, and I like that we actually get to see a flaw in Paul here and there. Because it reminds us that all of us are flawed. The best among us are flawed. And and, and flawed deeply and daily, right? Right? And what happens is Paul just declines into the conversation and starts with a name calling. And is he right? He's probably right. But he is wrong in the way he approaches it. So they attack him, he attacks back. And here's what happens. They miss what is being said, and they just continue, "Well would you do that?" or what you did is wrong? Well what you did is wrong, and we're missing the underlying thing that both people are wrong, and they've quit listening to each other. Would you attack a high priest? It doesn't matter what the high priest did. Did you just not see him command him to be struck? Oh, that's okay. But when he calls him a name, you don't like it. But then dipping down and calling names is wrong too. So everybody has lowered themselves in the conversation to a place where God's witness is lost. And this is religious leader against religious leader. I think that's the worst part. Both of these people claim to represent the same God. Verse 4, I want to get back to our passage here. Those who stood by, I want you to just think. Now, if you're on the outside of the conversation, like I said, I've spent the last few years withdrawing from the conversation publicly and watching and just trying to learn and look and see. Imagine the crowd looking on as Ananias, the high priest of Judaism, is doing this. And as Paul, the first century church leader who's prominent and well-known, as he is doing this, imagine yourself in the crowd. Imagine you're the spectator via social media, the spectator in the crowd, however it might be. It says, those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? Now, who's wrong here, Ananias or Paul? Both. That's where we've gotten to where both sides are now declining into being wrong. And of course we want to side with Paul because we know that he's being attacked and he's being called things that are, that are false. He's being accused of things that are not true. So of course we want to side with him because he's like us. So it's easy to just side with him and see all the flaws of the opposite side. But here's what's true. They've both dipped into being wrong. Joining the circus. When our behavior is no different than those we disagree with, we're not only equally wrong but more so. God demands better from us. Our sinful make, behavior makes our entire faith look bad. There is a perception of Christianity out there in the culture. As Christianity continues to decline, as Christianity de- loses its prominence in our culture from what it has had in the past... As that continues, there is a perception of Christianity amongst the culture, amongst the community. Those who are not sitting here now have a perception of us. And that's, that sometimes that perception does not represent us, but it represents some of the loudest voices on social media, or on the news, or in politics, or whatever. And so that, that lowest common denominator begins to, to define us. And then when we join in, we just reinforce the stereotype, we just reinforce that low opinion of those who follow Jesus. Let's move on verse 5 and as Paul said, I do not know brothers that he, I did not know brothers that he was the high priest for it is written you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So here's what Paul does, Paul pivots. So the conversation has gotten worse. There's been physical attacks, there've been verbal attacks. Both sides are now attacking each other. There's a crowd that is looking on and there's a crowd that is judging by what both people are doing on the outside that is saying this is wrong. There's a fever pitch kind of being reached in this crowd as they're tearing at their clothes. They're throwing dirt in the air. They're shouting. The noise is so much that nobody's listening anymore. But Paul pivots here. Here's what he does. He says, Here's, you're right. Me calling leaders names is wrong. Like, I'm not advancing the cause of the gospel any. He says, I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Here's what he does. He goes back to scripture. And what he does is he judges his own speech by scripture. So he takes the metric of God's God's word. And he discerns where he is missing the mark. And what he does is begins to repent in front of everybody else. He begins to turn back to living in a way that is glorifying to God. So Christian, and I say this this. I, as I write these titles out, understand this. When I say Christians in the age of Trump, I don't mean one side of the conversation or the other. I mean in our modern era where Trump is president, anyone who claims faith, I want you to hear this on both sides of the conversation, or on all sides of the conversation. We live in an era where things are broken and seem unrepairable. It is the responsibility of every believer to lead in repentance if we won't confess our wrong behavior, and I would say if we won't do it publicly with some humility, how will anyone else be expected to? Here's what we all want to do. We want to sit back. And we want to tell you, listen, man, when you come to your own senses, man, then I'll join you. I don't see it happening. Here's what Paul does. He says, you're right. By God's standard, my speech is wrong. That's what we need to be today. Verse 6, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of the Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection that I am on trial. Paul goes back in his repentance, just admits, Hey, listen, man, I dove into the mess too. And that is not what God has called me to. And and Paul gets back to the gospel. He says, listen, I'm on trial now because Jesus entered into human history for me. That Jesus came in and lived the life I'm called to live. He died the death I deserve in my place. He was buried in a grave to cover my sin. He rose from the grave to give me new life. And I'm here because I want to be a witness of Jesus. And in this moment, my speech is not a good witness of Jesus. And I want to return back to the gospel. I want to return back to where I am glorifying God. And we remember why I'm here. I'm here to tell you about you. I'm here to be a witness for the living, resurrected Jesus. Paul goes back to the heart of the gospel. Verse 7, And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there's no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, and the Pharisees acknowledge them all. So again, what we see is a rift down the middle and a political divide. And we could dive into what Sadducees believe and what Pharisees believe, but really, it gives you enough there. So all of a sudden, they disagree. They disagree. So division in politics, as long as people are alive, there will be cultural divide and people fighting for power. Our role is to be Christ to the community. Our role is to find a way to rise above the conversation and advocate for spiritual renewal. Paul's no longer defending himself. Paul is putting forward Jesus. Paul is no longer saying, hey, my side's right. In fact, he led with, you know what, I'm wrong. My speech is wrong. And then he gets back to Jesus. And as soon as he does that, the crowd, they divide in half anyhow. Because as long as there are people, there will be political division and power. People fighting to be right. Christians, when we continue to fight to be right, we're wrong. When we devolve into this, this, this fray of the conversation, we just cede all ground that we would have ever had. Verse 9, when a great clamor arose and some of the scribes and the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply... We found nothing wrong in this man. What if an angel spoke to him? So here's what happens. One side starts to make a U-turn, but it's not because they're repenting. It's not because they're admitting they're wrong. What they're doing is they're positing against the other side. They're just again doing the same thing. Verse 10, and when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me, Jesus, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Here's what happens. When Paul leaves the conversation about him being right, humbles himself, repents, points back to Jesus, things aren't fixed in the culture right away. Things aren't, he doesn't fix everything. I don't want, like this is some magic thing that all of a sudden everything is all happy. Paul gets right. Paul represents Jesus rightly again. And as this is going off, here's what Jesus does. Says, listen, now that I got a hold of you, I'm going to use you in Rome. Now that I've got you and I've got control of your speech, I've got recognition from you that you were equally guilty. You were, you were jumping in the mud with everybody else. Now that you're out of that, now I can use you and now I'll take you to Rome. Paul is now a level-headed, useful servant. Once Paul finds a place to speak about what matters, meaning the gospel, and in a way that is honoring to his faith, God can use him in powerful ways. That's where we need to be. Not that God is going to call us to go somewhere else, but we just need to be that, that calm and grace-filled conversation in the, in, in the conversation. right? And, and really, uh, one of, something that was pretty f- interesting to me recently was sitting down talking with someone here, and they said, I thought, well I thought you were this political party. And I said, no, exactly the opposite. But what was cool in that conversation was not what anybody thought was that, I had to assess, okay, now why would, why would anybody think that? And just trying to think through, like what have I said or whatever. And it's this, it's because tr- I try to be harder on the team I'm on. Does That make sense? Like I wanna hold those who believe like me to a better standard than others. And so I think I, I critique my own tribe a lot theologically uh, politically whatever it might be that i would speak in such a way that i'm calling us to change because there's a lot there's a lot of commonality in the room and so then the message becomes how do we do better not how are they doing wrong mm-hmm. that makes sense yes. once we get there we can be useful i want to leave you with two passages you can unpack these in your in your quiet time with jesus you can unpack them in your community groups Colossians is the first one. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech always be gracious. That's always. And let me just, if I haven't hammered this point home already, social media. When you're sitting there and you're not actually face-to-face with somebody, a lot of times people are just a lot more brave. Let your speech always, so online also, be gracious and seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Each person is an individual, a person that you hope to reach with the gospel. Next slide. And John says this by all, Jesus says this in John. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. We're not known as a loving people. We're not known as a gracious people. And yet we are a people because of Christ's love and grace and mercy. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Now, I just want to say, I just, I see so many flaws in my speech. It isn't currently an online thing, but definitely there's a lot of wanting to be right whenever there's a conversation and a disagreement, and God, that is represented in me and many of us, but it's our culture, and God, we need to do better. If we want to represent you, we need to be better. We can't look at what others do and set that as a model or a standard. We have to look to what you do. Jesus, we look to your speech. And we set ourselves up against you and we find our own flaws. We repent and we lead out of humility. Let our speech be seasoned with grace. Let us be known for our love for one another. Let us be known for love. We can't control everyone, but we can control ourselves. And through the gospel, you've given us that. Let us pursue that. With the same pursuit of passion that we pursued being right, let us pursue being like you. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.